everything that you're feeding the GI is to help it grow healthy because you regrow a brand new intestine every three months. Most of your stool, most of your poop is not food. It's cells from the intestine. Today on the SIBO SOS podcast, we have Dr. Alana Gervich. She is one of those people that I call an aggressive healer. Well, actually assertive, because assertive means win-win. And she's also very loving, very compassionate, super smart. And in my head, I basically refer to her in my brain as a badass. I don't really say that publicly, but just to give you an insight into how I feel about this woman. She's loving and supportive, but also tells the truth. No nonsense, tells you what you need to hear, and still gives you the space to make your own decisions. That is a powerful combination. Today, you're gonna get a taste for how incredible she really is. And we're gonna be talking about her favorite treatments for SIBO, how to make your 24-hour yogurt taste amazing, how long to stay on a SIBO diet, IBS, IBD, and SIBO. Does one of them lead to another? And what are the differences? Testing for parasites, she's an expert in this also. And how much water should we drink? Does coffee count or should it be avoided? Dun, dun, dun. We cover a ton in this episode. You might want to listen to it more than once. You also might want to take a break in the middle of it or after five minutes to process. But that's the beauty of these podcasts. You can rewind and replay. Let's go. Hi, I'm Siobhan Sarna and a fellow SIBO patient. I'm so glad you're with me today because we have Dr. Ilana Gervitz talking about her practice and how she helps people with SIBO, IBD, which is inflammatory bowel disease. So we're gonna talk more about that right now and hopefully help you out a lot. I'm so glad we're here together. Thank you for having me. It's always, always a pleasure talking to you. So when people come to you and what's the first thing you try to figure out with like what's up with them? Uh, so we're assuming they're gonna come in, they're gonna have their SIBO breath test already done. Um, what we're, What I'm looking for is the extent of the methane and the extent of the hydrogen. And you know, I'm very, very regimented about how I treat. I'm probably a little bit more regimented than others. My phase one is always some kind of antibiotic, either herbal or pharmaceutical. At this point, I'm using pharmaceuticals more than I'm using herbals. Um, and then after, you know, after that, so no matter what, I had them on either two weeks or a month of herbals or pharmaceuticals. And then after that, we start what I call phase two. Phase two is direct dietary intervention. And so that's the SIBO-specific diet or the paleo diet or SCD, depending on if they're an inflammatory bowel disease patient or not, and then a motility agent. Um, We have lots of options with motility agents. They generally all stop working. In the pharmaceutical world, we have low-dose erythromycin, which I have to be honest, I am not using a lot of anymore. Pinmentel, who is the forefront researcher out of Cedars-Sinai in LA, thinks that he gets about three months of... um, utilization on lotus erythromycin before they become conditioned to it. And then he has them stop for a week or two, but it's also available by the FDA in the U S. So lotus erythromycin, I don't use very much. Uh, the, the other ones right now are not legal in the U S there is some rumor that they're trying to go through FDA approval. I'm not sure. The one that's most utilized is a medication called Resilor. Resilor we're using at the half milligram to two milligram dosage. There's also Donperidone, which, as I learned this week, has completely been eliminated from the U.S. market. That one also has a side effect of cardiovascular issues. Um, It is used for 
as a motility agent, it is also used to pump up lactation. And I think we're using it at the 20 milligram dosage is, and it does have cardiovascular effects at like the 200 milligram dosage. So those are the pharmaceutical ones. There are also really great herbal ones. I do notice that people develop tolerance to the herbs way faster. Mm. So ginger, uh, there's a product that I use a lot called Motil Pro, which is a high-dose ginger, 5-HTP, a couple of other herbs. Um, that one works great. You have to dose it a lot more frequently, um, but you develop tolerance to it. There was a tincture called Ibirigast, and then there's Triphelia, and then bitters. Like, it's so simple, <laughs> and it it's so, so cheap. Um, so bitters from the liquor store that has no sugar added, bitters is a great motility agent. HCL and enzymes. Are those motility agents? No, but they push things along. Okay. So they kind of help uh, enhance the effects. Okay. So that's a lot of prokinetics. So yes. that's good. Yes. That's yes. very good. And you constantly have the option of changing them. Right. Rotate them. Rotate them. Yeah. Okay. That's a great idea. And take breaks from them to see if they're still doing anything. I'm a very big fan of breaks. I've been learning a lot more about breaks, which yeah. we, you're the one who gave me the yeah. term pulse. Yep. And that was just so revelatory for me yeah. because I had never even thought of that before, but it does make a lot of sense. Yep. It does make a lot of sense. Yeah. So so we've talked about the prokinetics. Um, is there anything else in terms of the medicine cabinet that we need to be looking at as SIBO patients? You know, I really, I find that herbs work. I use a lot of Zyfaxan for a long time. And with my um, methane patients, I use the Zyfaxan and the neomycin. I don't, I actually think Zyfaxan is a really good medication. Even as a naturopath, I think it's a good medication. It's not even an antibiotic. It's considered a eubiotic. It upregulates your bifido. It upregulates your lactobacillus. It downregulates all those pathogenic species. So I don't worry so much about rifaximine outside of cost because some insurances cover it and some of it doesn't. Right. And it could be $5 or $1,100. You never know. I also think we're talking a lot about SIBO, which is bacterial mm -hmm. overgrowth. I don't think you can discount CIFO, which is fungal overgrowth. I don't think you can discount parasitic infections. Right. Broad herbs are significantly broad, more broad spectrum. And so, can help those. And can help those, yep. So you're getting different side effects. The side effects of the herbs are you're killing more broad-range things, and you're also upregulating good flora. When it comes to the herbs that you like, mm -hmm. what are those? So I always start with Alice which is um, physician-grade garlic and berberine, neem. Do you ever have people on rifaximin longer than two weeks? So what I'm doing a lot with rifaximin now is, uh, so, you know, here in Portland, we have Nike. Nike is a huge, you know, this is their headquarters. Mm. I have a lot of Nike patients. Nike people travel. They get put on a plane. They have no control of their food. They have no control of their schedule. They go to these third world countries and they get foodborne illnesses. Mm -hmm. So I'm using rifaximine as a preventative when they're traveling. Every single one of my Nike patients has a prescription. Whenever they travel, the minute they get there, they take one. If they start feeling sick, they have their prescription right there. So I'm using rifaximine that way. There's definitely studies where we're using rifaximine for longer, like every other day, every second day, every third day, but I don't know how safe that is. Right. We're kind of playing around with it, and so I'm not super comfortable with it. Gotcha. And when somebody is on the herbs or the rifaximin, mm -hmm. when they're in that phase one, mm -hmm. you were talking about, do you do a probiotic at that time? I don't. Okay. I save my probiotics for like one to two months into phase two, and then definitely in phase three. Aside from the fact that I like a lot of people to do homemade yogurt, be it coconut or dairy, and 
if it's homemade, we know that we're getting really high probiotic content. And there's this awesome, awesome, awesome new uh, probiotic yogurt starter called Bravo Yogurt. Have you heard about this? I have. Dude, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's supposed to be incredible. And it's, I, I think right now, right now at this exact moment in time, my theory is that probiotics from Bravo Yogurt Starter are significantly higher and more broad spectrum, like a lot more, a lot more bugs are in there mm-hmm. than what we have in most of our probiotics. So I'm using that a lot now. And people are doing well. It's, it? And it's so easy to make yogurt. <laughs> uh, right. I was going to ask you about coconut and yeah. coconut yogurt because a lot of people with SIBO have a hard time with coconut. Have yeah. you seen it to yes. be A-OK? I've seen it to go all over the board. Got it. I've seen people tolerate it really, really well, and people tolerate it terribly. And how do you make coconut yogurt? You basically either buy or make coconut milk, mm-hmm. and then you let the yogurt ferment. You just to, to allow a starter to ferment, there just needs to be some kind of sugar in there. Okay. And you use the Bravo with it? I use the Bravo with it. Or, okay. I, or if you—you know, Bravo is $150, so it's, it's pricey. Yeah. Um, if you don't want to, if you want to figure out if you can tolerate it, mm-hmm. buy like yogurt mate or use like a yogurt, like a coconut yogurt starter. You know what I mean? Okay. Like buy a cheap one to make sure right. you can tolerate it. And if you can, then I would move on to the Bravo. Okay. All right. That's a great tip. Yeah. And do you have a recipe that you love for how to make your, I really do. Yeah, your 24-hour yogurt? Uh, yeah, I love it. Um, and that's really thanks to Allison. Allison introduced us to 24-hour yogurt, and it's like rocked my culinary palate. <laughs> so I take 100% half and half. So I take two quarts of half and half. Uh-huh. I bring them to a boil, and I let them hang out until they get back to room temperature. And then I t- take mason jars, throw in the starter, mix it, put in my yogurt maker for 24 hours. Okay. And it's five minutes. Five minutes. That's a beautiful thing. And is there any yogurt maker you prefer? I really like Yo Life. I've actually spent a lot of time thinking about this. Okay. Um, so the Yo Life, it has like a small one if you want to make individual glasses, but that's like six servings. It also has this big encapsulator where you can put two quart jars in there. Two quart jars is going to last you a week or two. Mm-hmm. Those six little cups are going to last you like three to six days. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, right. And so I am against all yogurt makers that um, give you pre-made cups. Right. Because I think it's, I don't have time. I'm I don't busy. Have time. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to eat it and you're going to need more of it. Like, it, and I want to grab it when I want it and how much I want it. Yeah. Yeah. And how long, how much can you eat in a day without having any negative implications? Every person is different, but I'm not worried about negative implications from yogurt. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I'm more worried about negative uh, implications from pesticides or herbicides. Right. Okay. You're free with the yogurt. Okay. Finally, something. <laughs> yeah. Something. Do you ever put fruit in it or anything? I put, if I'm going to put fruit in, I'm going to do it after the fact. Yeah. Okay. I don't ferment it with fruit. Okay. All right. That's helpful. Yeah. And it's delicious. And it's like, it's like the best, it's like ice cream that's like a little bit sour. You, if you're using 100% half and half, that cream, it's like the best treat ever with a little bit of honey and some fruit. It's it really, it's like amazing. Would you please bring some on Saturday night uh-huh. so I can have a taste? Yes. Because yes. I don't believe you. Yes. Yes, I will. It's like <laughs> Thank amazing. You so much. I'm like, I think I have, I'm, I think I have half and half in the fridge because I was waiting to make some. So yes. Okay. Thank you yeah. so much. That would be highly motivating for me because I've made it before and hated it. It was disgusting. What yogurt maker? Did you bring it to a boil? Yeah. I don't know. I have the thermometer in there yeah, and everything. For, uh, forget the thermometer. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Too much. It's too yeah. technical. Uh, because the boiling process makes it thick like Greek yogurt. Okay. So when you, uh, my concern about your thermometer is you're waiting for it to get to this particular temperature, right. but that's not ch- changing the structure of the proteins. So it's, it's going to be like more runny. It was runny. Yeah, because you didn't boil it. 
Yeah, no, I'll bring it. It's amazing. Okay, thank you so much. It's like much. delicious. Okay, yeah. fine. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so we've talked about the prokinetics. Mm-hmm. We've talked about 24-hour yogurt. You do the probiotics in phase three. Can you mm-hmm. recap the phases again so for me? So phase one, antibiotics, herbal or pharmaceutical. Phase two, diets and motility. Phase three, GI Restore. What's that about? GI Restore. So you've treated, you found the SIBO, you treated the SIBO, and symptomatically they're doing better. At this point, you want to make sure... and. So berberine is a good example of like, if you use it in phase one, but it actually reheals the GI lining. Phase three is all about rehealing the GI lining. So we're throwing probiotics at them, resveratrol, glutamine, colostrum, vitamin E, zinc carnosine, all of these really, really super nutritious things for the GI so that they're not exposed again. Their motility is restored or they're still aiding their motility with some kind of motility agents. And everything that you're feeding the GI is to help it grow healthy because you regrow a brand new intestine every three months. Most of your stool, most of your poop is not food. It's cells from the intestine. Oh my gosh. So is it bacteria also from your microbiome Mm -hmm. and the lining of the intestine? It's mainly the lining of the intestine. Really? Yep. Yep. That's the majority of what stool is. That's incredible. Yep. That's hopeful also. Yes. So if you have leaky gut, this is how you heal it. This is how you heal so, it. So, you know, in my, so leaky gut with inflammatory bowel disease patients, that, and leaky gut is an interesting term because when you say leaky gut, medical doctors think quacks, you know, hippie right. quacks. Yeah. But medical doctors constantly talk about intestinal permeability. Yeah. Which, guess what? It's leaky gut. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, so when you have intestinal permeability, you basically have, okay, so... Ideally, your GI is really, really tight. All those junctions are really, really tight. And the enterocytes are these amazing cells of the GI that actually eat from two places. They're the only cells in the whole body who do do this. So they eat from the bloodstream, which is how everything else eats. But they also eat from the lumen, eat from the GI. And so food comes down and these enterocytes kind of grab at it and pick at it and choose the what they want that's the most beneficial to them. When you have intestinal permeability, these tight junctions are really, really porous and inflamed. What that means is food, which should be staying in the lumen, is able to come through into the lymph system and into the body. And so then what you have is a ton of food intolerances because all of a sudden your lymph system is exposed to all these large particles of food that it should never be exposed to. And therefore it treats it like it's a pathogen, like a bacteria or a fungus or a virus. And then you eat something and your immune system says, oh, there's that bug that I'm fighting, and it starts mounting a response, but you're eating it constantly, so you're constantly inflamed or sick or worn out. So that's also when you can say, I have a clean, clean diet, but I'm still sick. What's going on? Because you're reacting to everything that you're eating because that's what's floating into the GI, into the um, lymph system. And so these are like the people who can eat four foods, but now are becoming intolerant to their four foods, Mm -hmm. which is why I have to say in the SIBO world, I open up diets way quicker than most people. What does that mean? So I have people really, really restricted for two weeks. Okay. And then I have them reintroduce very slowly and very methodically, but I want them reintroducing very quickly. Okay, so whereas versus others who are just saying, be on this diet for as long stay as possible. Stay on the, possible. you know, if we're talking a SIBO-specific diet, you're going to stay on the left lane, left column yeah. for a month, two months, three yeah. months. I, I don't, I firmly believe that those people are not reacting to every single thing on that sheet. So my goal is, what are you reacting to? And what I do, which people are going to think are crazy, is I have them, the first thing that I have them introduce is garlic and onions. 
That is crazy. It's crazy it's because crazy. they're all high FODMAP. Yeah. But if you're the small part of the population that of the SIBO population that tolerates garlic and onions, your life does not feel like you're locked in a house. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Garlic and onions are in everything. 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 And so if you tolerate them, I want to know right away. Okay. And if you don't tolerate them, you're going to know right away because mm-hmm. I just gave you a really strong detox for about two weeks. Right. And you're going to know right away. And so you're going to take them out and then we're going to come back to them. But I want to give you a life if you can have a life. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. I mean, it, like you can actually go out to eat if you can have garlic and onions. Right. Like you could go to Chipotle's, which has onions and everything. Exactly. That would be nice. But, it's, but it has clean meat. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I'm a vegetarian, but still yeah. a lot of people are looking for yep. clean meat yep. in a fast food environment. Exactly. Less chipotles for all for all that non-GMO yep. stuff they're working exactly. on. Yeah. I think they're actually owned by McDonald's. That's a yeah. Yeah, yeah, dichotomy yeah, yeah, yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's what it is, is what it is, is telling us that the health conscious community has changed the state of our food industry so much that McDonald's is investing in a clean meat source. Good for them. And Costco, which I know I talk about Costco a lot, Costco um, has has increased the demand for organics so much that they actually now give loans to farmers so that they can grow organic fare. So they're acting as a bank to give farmers the loans so they can grow organic food to sell to Costco. That's because great. there's such a demand for organic food. We need that around the world. We need that around the world. Yeah. That being said, I don't think any food industry is as gross as the U.S. is. And they did a really interesting article comparing, so Europe and the U.S. made a very drastic choice about GMOs and pesticides like 30 years ago. Right. And the promise is if you use GMOs, you can increase your yield and you will save money using pesticides. And what they found is Europe, who chose to not do GMOs, actually has higher yields than we do in the U.S. and actually uses less pesticides than we use in the U.S. Because when you make GMOs, you sell, sell pesticides the problem with GMOs is not you're changing the DNA. The problem with GMOs is they are now resistant to the pesticides, so you spray more of them on them. Uh-huh. And so what we're finding is the entire promise of GMO was bullshit. And on top of that, what's happening is the increased use of these pesticides are completely toxic. They're toxic to your endocrine system. They're toxic to your GI. They're toxic to your normal cells. And so people are getting sicker and fatter. Even when they're eating, quote-unquote, healthy choices yes. of foods. Yes. Because if you're not thinking about what's sprayed on your foods, you're in trouble. Even with all the veggie washes in the whole world. It doesn't matter. It I doesn't mean, it really, matter. the trick with the veggie washes is you're assuming that those people are only eating vegetables. Right. And I'm positive that they are eating the majority of their food out of some kind of box. Right. And there's no veggie wash that you can throw on your box. That's so true. Yeah. That is so yeah. true. Yep. Yeah. Wow. That's intense. That is yeah. intense. And it means... That's that's why supporting companies, even big corporate companies, mm-hmm. that are helping you make your choices easier. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's the way to go. Your your dollar, and you know now with where we are in this country politically, and your dollars really are your political statements. Like make a choice about where you want to spend your money, mm-hmm. and support companies like Chipotle, support companies like Costco who buys organic, because mm-hmm. that's really that shows them what we want as people. Thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Just Thrive Probiotics. I wasn't a believer, I have to admit. I thought all probiotics were the same because in the past I had taken them and didn't really notice a difference. Well, once I read the studies on Just Thrive, which were recommended to me from several friends in this health space, it started with an old root canal that needed to be extracted. I took the Just Thrive with the massive dose of antibiotics and it helped me so much. I couldn't believe it. So 
I want you to know about it because if it made a difference for me and I'm a tough case, chances are it's going to make an impact on you. Obviously, you can tell I'm a fan. I hope you'll investigate it for yourself. That's Just Thrive Probiotics. And thank you so much to them for supporting this community. We love them for it. Do you have any websites that you can recommend to... Environmental Working Group. Okay. Environmental, ewg.com. So Environmental Working Group is amazing. But if you're anxious, it can make you go crazy. Oh, because you're so right, I'm sure. So the trick is treading lightly. Because envi- so Environmental Working Group is a completely, they support themselves. Um, they're not funded by anybody, I don't think. And they do all of this research about um, environmental pollutants, uh, in house, like house cleaning products, because that's a really big exposure to toxicity or um, food or medicine or anything like that. So if it's on their list, you can base, it's really reliable. Um, and they have this great list called the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. Have you heard this? I have a little bit. It's great. It's great. It's the 12 most heavily sprayed, heavily pesticide foods and the 15 safest foods to eat if they're not organic. So okay. if you're going to make a choice, avoid the Dirty Dozen and yeah. choose the Clean 15. So spend your dollars buying organic Dirty Dozen food, but don't worry so much about the Clean 15. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. But I love that you're aware of how anxiety promoting it is. It is so, I know, and you feel powerless. You do. Yeah. You do. You feel like everything I've known is a lie and mm-hmm. I everything's toxic and yeah. I need to live in a bubble. Yeah. yeah. Just talked about that earlier yep. today because yep. it's really, it's, it's so tricky, especially if you already have the food sensitivities. Yep. And so easy things that you can do. Um, I feel like uh, cleaning products, easiest thing that you can avoid. Vinegar and water. I, I, I think I just saved you $10,000. You know right what I mean? Right there, $10,000. Yes. Uh, vinegar and water is an amazing way to clean your house. Done. I think choosing what you put on, we were talking about this earlier, choosing what you put on your skin, no brainer. You know what I mean? Like I had a patient, they have this, she's one of my favorite, favorite patients of all time. And for Christmas, she decided to make all this natural skincare that took her I don't know, like an hour. She made a huge vat. It is like liquid gold that I put on my face. It's like coconut, uh, cocoa butter and coconut oil and almond and some vanilla. But making homemade, not gross products. And then eating from the dirty, do- eating from the clean 15 and avoiding the dirty dozen. Right there, that decreases tons of your environmental exposures. You can still live in a city, yeah. you know what I mean? But if you're not bringing t- the inside of your house, if you're using like Lysol or any of those gross products, mm-hmm. are, is way more toxic than the outside world. Right. And so just get that, get that crap out, vinegar and water. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What about hydrogen peroxide? Great. Okay. I mean, it's completely safe. Okay. Even to the fact where people are using hydrogen peroxide IVs. They're so, I mean, very low-grade pharmaceutical, uh-huh. medical-grade hydrogen peroxide IVs for infections. Wow. Very, very safe. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Um, there's like food-grade mm-hmm. levels of yep. hydrogen peroxide for veggie washes mm-hmm. and, and that. And so if you do get organic, mm-hmm. don't you need to be even more aggressive about cleaning it? No. I don't okay. agree with that. Oh. I, I bet I know what you're thinking. Okay. Uh, why is that? Okay. So do you, do you know what the, have you heard of the hygiene philosophy? Is it, well, the only thing I'm thinking of is um, food combining, that natural hygiene. No, 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 no. This is different. Yeah, so the hygiene philosophy. The hygiene philosophy, I mean, I learned about it when I was in school, so it's got to be 20, 25, 30 years old. The hygiene philosophy says we are obsessed with hygiene when we take away 
bacteria and exposure to bugs, what happens is our body then overcompensates by becoming atopic or allergic to everything. So the atopic triad, asthma, allergies, eczema. The theory is the atopic triad occurs because we don't have exposure to bacteria. When I think about cleaning my fruits and vegetables, I mean, should you wash your fruits and vegetables even if they're organic? A hundred percent. Don't be stupid. A thousand people touch their hands. We don't know if those people wash their hands before wiping their butts. You know what I mean? Like, right. yes, wash your vegetables. Do you need to soak them and sterilize them in hydrogen peroxide? I don't, I mean, I'm more concerned about getting the chemicals and the pesticides off and still getting exposure to the microbiome that's on those bugs, that, that's on the vegetables, mm-hmm. than I am about not get like not getting exposure to parasites. Okay. So do I think that if you eat a fruit right off a tree, you have the likelihood of getting a parasite or uh, infection? I do. So wash it. Yeah. But don't sterilize it. You don't have to sterilize it. it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What were you thinking? I was thinking about soil, same thing, soil-based probiotics. Exactly. Yep, exactly. So that's what I was thinking because we don't play in the dirt anymore. Exactly. We don't. Or have farm animals. Right. Yeah. Right. I have Proteus mirabellus overgrowth, which is from, allegedly, you know, from some fruit or vegetable I ate at some point that wasn't washed. So this is the trick. The answer is yes, and you also have a predisposition. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I think right. by the nature of your GI not working optimally, you have a higher likelihood of picking up things because things because with your motility agent dysfunctional, mm-hmm. you don't have that natural protection. And right. so, you know, that's where bitters or, you know, ginger or anything that you're using to upregulate. The reason you have a migrating motor complex, which I call the dishwasher mechanism, like I love the migrating motor complex. The reason why you have a migrating motor complex is because it constantly is washing and scrubbing your intestine to prevent bacterial overgrowth, to prevent fungal overgrowth, to prevent parasitic infections. If you have a paralyzed migrating motor complex, which inevitably SIBO patients do, what happens is you cannot protect yourself against those general pathogens. Right. Whereas someone, if they had eaten the same, would have been fine. Piece of lettuce, they would have been fine. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. And remember, the other thing that Pimentel talks a lot about is the minute you get your first exposure to that that exotoxin that the foodborne illness implants on your vinculum receptors in the small intestine, Mm -hmm. as soon as you get that exposure, you then become a much kinder host to other pathogenic organisms. It's, you know, they can pass through me and I'm not hospitable, but then they find you and you're wicked hospitable. (sighs) Yep. Yeah. Welcome Matt's out. I totally want to renege on that. I totally hear you. Yeah. And that is where reestablishing motility is, I think, the key step in SIBO treatment. I want to quickly talk about something you and I have touched Uh on, which is skin. Yes. I want to know about that guy in your building. Okay. The dermatologist that sends people to you? Yeah, upstairs and downstairs. Yeah. Uh, Okay, right, right. So we had talked about last time about... um, it's a woman. That's why I got. Oh, okay, like, sorry. Um, we had talked about last time about um, lichen, lichen planus pylorus, uh, which is a type of alopecia. So uh, we have the dermatologists that are right up the stairs from us, who we work really, really well with. They have this subset of patients that they literally can't do anything about. So. Uh, dermatologist treatments for for baldness. Um, If it's female pattern uh, baldness and it's hormonal, they're going to use spironolactone, which affects um, absorption of hormones. Um, They're going to use antibiotics if they think it's an antibiotic issue. If it's an infection and they'll use antibiotics orally and topically, they're going to use cortisone injections, so steroid shots in the scalp. Um, And then they're going to, or cortisone cream, 
And then they're going to use iron. They use a lot of iron because they think anemia is one of the big reasons why people lose their hair. And they're wanting to see ferritins in naturopathic ranges at like the 60, which is amazing. Um, they have nothing. If they find a lichen planus pylorus and they fail the cortisone injections, which a lot of them do, or if they don't respond to the topicals, they're going to say, good luck. And then they're going to say, you know, that your option is there's some, you know, hippie naturopaths that are downstairs and they do okay. (laughs) And so we get a lot of their, they send patients down to us and we treat them. And we have found actually pretty significant results turning around that type of alopecia treating SIBO. That's amazing. And, and it makes sense. And Tell it makes, me how sense. That makes sense. When you have bacterial overgrowth, you've got inflammation in your GI. When you have inflammation in your GI, you are not absorbing nutrients. You're, you're not. When you're not absorbing nutrients, how can you grow hair? Well, hair doesn't matter when you're not absorbing nutrients. Hair matters when you want to be attractive and find a mate and make babies mm-hmm. evolutionarily, but it doesn't matter if you're not absorbing nutrients. And so if you treat the underlying issue that's causing the nutrient deficiencies, you can absolutely regrow hair. That's amazing. It's amazing. And it's actually, you know, out of all of our, out of, well, out of all of our patients, those patients are probably the most grateful. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. you've ever lost hair from whatever reason, or even a bad haircut, yep. but no, from yep, medically totally. lost hair, which I have, yep. it is frightening. So frightening. Yep. It is so frightening mm-hmm. on so many different levels. Yep. I hear you. It really is. And which is why, you know, the foundation of naturopathic medicine is the GI. Like, I think I said, like my first day of medical school, the first class we ever had, it was histology. And the guy goes, every single person in here is a tube. One gigantic tube from your mouth to your rectum, and you have hands and feet to walk you around. The entire body is dependent on this tube functioning. And if it doesn't, you see side effects in all the rest of the body, which is why rosacea is another big secondary effect of SIBO. Because if you have an inflamed GI, and you know, in Chinese medicine, we talk about this all the time, the intestine and the skin are the same organ. One is on the inside and one is on the outside and they're flipped inside out, but it's the same organ. And so if your GI is not functioning, your body's not going to take care of its skin. And rosacea is just a direct side effect of it. Mm -hmm. What about psoriasis? So I have probably had the best success with my psoriasis. I used to hate treating skin. I personally... You know, my best friend will tell you when we were in medical school together, she would be sitting next to me because they would show the images of those gross skin conditions. And I'd be like, and she would like just look at me responding to those disgusting images. I I hated skin. I will say since learning about SIBO and aggressively treating it in those patients, I it's probably the best success that I've had with psoriasis patients. Uh, does it, uh, I, so I have this one patient in particular who she came in with awful, awful, awful psoriasis that had only started in like her 40s. So it was late onset. But her entire body, huge, like huge plaques on the front, on the side, on the back, mm-hmm. elbows, knees, everywhere. Um, she had no idea what started it. She also had constipation that went with it. We started treating the SIBO. And it was I, I like was kicking myself for not taking pictures of her mm-hmm. to start with mm-hmm. because they were disappearing. The plaques were disappearing before my eyes. Wow. I mean, it was amazing. And I will so treating SIBO, we got her probably 70% clear. And then LDN, low-dose naltrexone, is the one agent we haven't talked about for motility. Low-dose, and then I started her on LDN because LDN is not a great motility agent. It probably has a little bit of motility function, mm-hmm. but it's an, it's an amazing autoimmune support. 
And so it downregulates the autoimmune system. LDN was what got her the rest of the way clear. Wow. That is practically unheard of. um, Exactly. That's like a miracle. And so what happens with these psoriasis patients is they apply steroids, and the steroids control it, and then they discontinue the steroids, and it becomes worse, and it gets larger, and then they try steroids. You go through this repetitive, it's like you're a rat on a, you know, a rat on a wheel Mm -hmm. where you treat it, it gets better. You stop treating it, it gets worse. Mm -hmm. And so this is actually a way to treat it without the side effects of steroids. That's huge. Huge. That's like life-changing, market-changing. Yep. Huge. Yep. Huge, huge, huge. Yep. Do you do anything different for them in their phase one, phase two, phase three? No, not to start with. Wow. So I, I think that's I think that treating the microbiome or treating the SIBO gets you allows you to get a hook into their condition. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it allows you to get them moving. Mm-hmm. And then as things are clearing and as they start plateauing, you need to do some more looking to figure out what's next. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's fantastic. With low-dose naltrexone, mm-hmm. do you have any patients that have weird dreams? Oh, uh, 10%. Okay. 10% of people are going to have crazy, vivid dreams. Some people love them. Some people don't. Uh, and then 10% of people are going to have headaches within the onset of starting low-dose naltrexone. Usually that, you know, goes away in about two weeks. It doesn't for all, most people, for all people, but it does for most people. And then the other big thing is you do need to be careful with low-dose naltrexone. So low-dose by definition, is 1.5 to 4.5 milligrams. Mm -hmm. There's some thought that maybe you can go up to 10. Um, With any of my thyroid patients, I've seen time and again that 1.5 is too high for them. So those patients, I start at 0.5. Okay. And that, unfortunately, when those patients get a 1.5 dose, which you think is minuscule, Mm -hmm. they are frozen, like brain fog, fatigue, Mm. like it's bad. It's bad. So yeah. 0.05. 0.05 for thyroid, thyroid issues. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Huge thank you to Dr. Gervich for giving us so much time and so much wisdom. I'd love to know what was your favorite part of this episode? I know it's hard to pick. Head over to the SIBO SOS group on Facebook and post your favorite part. Or leave us a review and let us know what you think or both. And don't forget to subscribe so you'll get every new episode we release. And as always, Thanks for being part of this community. Thank you for wanting to help yourself or your patients or someone in your life who has SIBO. I never underestimate the desire of someone to be well and then acting on that desire. That is a big deal to me. And the fact that I could be part of your healing means so much. It's an honor and I'm humbled and I'm glad you're here.